This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 242, submission number 024. Get a life. Got a life aired on Fox from September 23rd, 1990 to March 8th, 1992 for 35 episodes over two seasons. <laughs> Stand in the place where you were. Now they face north. Think about direction, direction wonder why you have now in the place where you live. Now face west. Think about direction you live, wonder why you haven't before. Stand in the place where you were. Now face north. Think about direction, wonder why you haven't now or stand in the place where you live. Think about direction what you live wonder why Crash. you haven't Well there was another line or two. He does stand in the place where he lives, now face north, and then the crash. Then the yeah. crash. Because he was distracted by a pretty lady and he hit and a car. Her butt. Well, he was distracted by more than a pretty lady. Yeah. By a pretty lady's butt. Yeah. What the hell is that? That's eugenics. We haven't even talked about the show yet, and we've gone off the deep end. No. In 1980, previous entry, The David Letterman Show, went off the air with one of its writers carrying over a couple of years later to David Letterman's next story, Late Night with David Letterman. That writer's name was Chris Elliott. True story. Chris Elliott wrote for David Letterman. And he would continue to write for David Letterman up until 1988 when he would start and carve out his own niche in comedy. And his open salvo was a surrealistic sitcom for Fox called Get a Life, in which he played a fictionalized version of himself a man by the name of Chris Peterson, who is 30 years old and still living in St. Paul with his parents, working the same route he did when he was a kid, because he was a paper delivery engineer. By the way, that's a nice way of saying he was a paper boy. Do you think he ever encountered those uh, tornadoes and mummies and zombies like in the game Paperboy? No. But I imagine he ran into the occasional crazy old lady. Hey, Greg. Yeah. I don't I don't want to surprise you. But I think when we get to the episodes, you may be surprised. Oh. He may have encountered a minimum of one of those. Okay. Oh, he did? We'll talk about it later, okay. yes. Okay. 
The universe of Chris Peterson was writ large by Elliot and his partners and friends, Adam Resnick and David Birkin, both of whom wrote and produced with him on Late Night, if I'm not mistaken. I know Adam Resnick did. Did David Merkin? Though? I think David Merkin, hasn't he worked on The Simpsons? Oh, yeah. He's worked on The Simpsons. He's also worked on Three's Company, Gary Shandling's show, and The Larry Sanders Show, and was the showrunner for Newhart. Okay. We love Newhart on this show. We do. But not as but... much as I love Wings. Yes. I don't know. I like my new heart. By the way, he did not write for David Letterman. That's okay. my mistake. Okay, well. Two out of three ain't bad. No, two out of three ain't bad indeed. But together, they fleshed out Chris Peterson's life, which was, to put it mildly, strange. Very. Yes. He was a childlike bachelor he refused to grow up, and in the end of the day, he was a 30-year-old who lived with his parents. Well, I don't think he refused to grow up. He just had a very bizarre way of thinking and living. Not necessarily didn't grow up, but again, we'll get some more of that down the road. Yeah. As a description of his character, he's immature feckless, gullible, foolish, irresponsible, extremely dim-witted, and instead of driving a car around, he gets around on his bike. And those were his good qualities. Yeah. Uh, He had other qualities. Very naive, very gullible. Uh, Again, as I said earlier, a little... No, not a little. A lot twisted. Very bizarre. Yeah. He's definitely a character. And you could take that two ways. He's he's a character as in a, a TV show character. But he's also a character as in... Boy, he's got issues. Yeah. In fact, David Merkin went so far as saying that the basis for Chris Peterson was... What would happen if Dennis the Menace grew up? Dennis the Menace, I think, would be a little wiser and a little more mature. But that's just me. Yeah. Then again, when Dennis the Menace grew up, he became the voice of Bam Bam Rubble on the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. Fun fact. Look it up. Speaking of his parents, they were played by a couple of veterans, a couple of really storied veterans. Eleanor Donahue, who played his mother, Gladys Peterson. And we've talked about her in the past. Mm-hmm. Because uh, first, she's best known for being on Father Knows Best. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she played uh, Betty Anderson. But also, we've mentioned her a few times because... She was on the Love Boat in our uh, almost every guest star on the Love Boat episode, but also because we love our match game Hollywood Squares, she was on the 50s week of Hollywood Squares with Mr. Black and eight celebrities from the 50s. But also, 
We talked about her in High School USA, nineteen eighty-three. Yes, we did. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't she on the bus with <laughs> Tom Valhord when he was driving it? Yep. Who was also on the match game Hollywood Squares Hour? Hey, not so much on Fifties Week, but on Premier Week. Yeah. And this has been your weekly match game in Hollywood Squares Hour reference. Well. He was America's ass in 1983. True. We didn't have Steve Rogers. He was frozen in ice. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks, John. When we come back, we have one more day left to just be with America's ass, Tom Ballard. And it really is sad, considering that for the last 40 years, America's asses has been lost over the Arctic Ocean and I don't think we're ever going to see Steve Rogers again. I don't think so. I think he's long since dead. I've given up hope for him ever coming back. You know, just, just, just get rid of it. I don't know why I've been talking about Steve Rogers. I just mourn America's ass from the 1940s. But, you know, now that, you know, Tom's here for the, for the one more day, and I, I just got to enjoy it while I can. But in the meantime... Ron's going to go for another chance at the Super Match for $30,000 after these short messages. Back after this. And playing the role of his father, Fred Peterson, would be Chris's actual father, Bob Elliott. Another legendary comedian, sadly no longer with us. In fact, yeah, he, he was one half of Bob and Ray. That's right. Exactly. That, that's what I was just going to say. And actually, Bob and Ray at one point hosted The Name's the Same. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't they host an episode of SNL in the 70s? Bob and Ray? Yeah, I think they did. Yes. No, they were and they were I think they were an interviewer in 1978. They were on an episode in 1978. Okay, they were on an episode. Okay, but did Yeah, you know? they were on the they were on the episode uh, hosted by Elliot Gould with Peter Tosh as the musical guest. Oh, wow. That was, that was probably a stacked show. Elliot Gould and Peter Tosh. Wow. Elliot Gould and Peter Tosh. And also, he played the voice of Fred on The Gnome's Great Adventure, which was basically the... Uh, I don't know if that came after or before the world of David the Gnome, but they're in the same universe. Oh, okay. I was wondering... Is that a David the Gnome spinoff or something? But yeah. I know it was uh, produced by Merrimax Films. Which means it would be owned by Paramount now. Because Paramount yeah. owns Miramax. Mm-hmm. And like the world of David the Gnome, the Gnome's Great Adventure did feature the voices of Tom Bosley and Christopher Plummer. That is true. I say, Brian, look, three rows down. What? Is that Tom Bosley? What would Tom Bosley be doing on a train in Switzerland? I'm I'm almost certain. Tom! Did he look? I don't know. Well, if I yell, you have to watch. Tom Bosley! No, it's not him. But it wasn't just about Chris and his family. It was also about Chris and his friends. Particularly his constantly put-upon best friend, Larry, played by Sam Robards who is best known for his role as Henry Swinton in AI Artificial Intelligence. But, if I'm not mistaken, he's the son of Jason Robards. He is the son of Jason Robards. And guys, you know what Jason Robards was in. Oh no. 
do I have to play this sound again? Yes, you do. Greg. Play it. Okay, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. Oh, my, 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 looks like it's raining in Kansas. No, no, that's just a little bit of dirt. I'll just test it right. Oh, oh, it's in Kansas. Oh, my, that looks like the day after. <laughs> Death by radiation poisoning has never been so funny. <laughs> but that's not all. He is the son of Jason Robards. And also the son of Lauren Bacall. Yes. And he was also married to Susie Amos, who was in Titanic, directed by her future husband, James Cameron. Oh, that is true. Oh, who's she playing Titanic? She played Lizzie Calvert. Okay. The daughter of Rose. Oh, oh, oh so the daughter was... of Old Rose. The daughter of Old Rose. The daughter of Old Rose. Gloria Stewart. Oh, and it's funny because Jason Roberts, if I'm not mistaken, was in the movie Raised the Titanic from 1980. Yes. Yes, which was about, this is really absurd. This is more absurd than, like, Blind Justice or any other stupid plot where it's like, they have to, like, raise the Titanic. And the Titanic's, like, in perfect shape. It's not, like, rusted or whatever. Because this was, like, it made in 1980 before they discovered the Titanic. So they had no idea, like, Russ could eat a ship or something, I guess. I don't know. Blame Clive Cussler. He wrote the book based on the movie. Yep. And playing his snooty wife, Sharon, who wants Larry to be more like her, that is, putting on the appearance of being a sophisticated socialite, would be Robin Riker, who is just be coming off of, I want to say, six seasons of Brothers on Showtime. I don't think it's that many seasons. Well, well, actually, well, yeah, it was five seasons of Brothers, six years, but it looks like she left after 87. So she was only on, looks like the first, like, four seasons. One of the underrated shows of the 80s. Yeah. She was nominated for two Cable Ace Awards. Hey, remember the Cable Ace Awards? I was just going to say, that may be an entry right there. The Cable Cable Ace Awards. Oh, yeah, especially the time Hulk Hogan and the New World Order invaded the 1996 Cable Ace Awards and ran into Mimi from the Drew Carey show. That happened. Oh, the the one thing I was thinking of, as crazy as it sounds, I was thinking about when Double Dare won a Cable Ace Award, and for an entire episode, their Ace Award appeared everywhere, like on every obstacle in the obstacle course, including right on the seat for the icy trike. Don't want to sit down on that. That looks like it would be painful. It would. A little. I play the two kids of Larry and Sharon would be Taylor Fry, who would best be known as one of the kids on the short-lived Kirk. And Brady Blum, who played Christopher Robin in many of the Winnie the Pooh films. 
Oh, Winnie the Pooh. Love Winnie the Pooh. And in season two, we would have a known entity join the cast. In the role of Gus, the person that Chris moves in with, Brian Doyle Murray. Oh, what else can we say about Brian Doyle Murray? He's Bill's brother. Yes. And of course, he was Mr. Vandalay in Wayne's World. Well, and also he was uh, the boss on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes, he was the boss in Christmas Vacation. Yeah. He gave Clark that one-year membership to the Shelly of the Month Club, which is the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, according to Cousin Eddie. Right. So, and also, he was Hank Murphy on one of my favorite series over the last 10 years, Sullivan and Son. Nice. Yes. But yeah, big universe for this little character of a man. And it's going to get even bigger and more twisted as the thing goes on. Oh, yeah. Once we dive into the episodes, this is going to go off the the charts in terms of wackiness. Oh, yeah. It definitely is going to go off the charts in wackiness. We're going to go beyond hilarity ensues. This is just absolute lunacy. Inspired lunacy, but lunacy nonetheless. Yes. All right, so let's go into all of these episodes, shall we? I think we must. Well, actually, let's back up a bit. Because there is an unaired pilot. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, hold on. The, the pilot is basically the first episode. There's one difference. What's that? Uh, instead of Eleanor Donahue playing Gladys Peterson... They got June Lockhart. Oh, wow. What? Serious? Yeah, June Lockhart. But it's the exact same uh, plot. Uh, And actually, if you look at IMDb, the exact same cast members. So when we talk about the pilot, we're talking basically about episode one. Okay. All right. So yeah, let's just jump into episode one, which in essence is a reshooting of the pilot. With Eleanor Donahue instead of June Lockhart. All right. So episode one. Terror on the Hell Loop 2000. This is the actual plot, folks. Chris wakes up, kisses Daryl Hannah, does his paper route, drags his neighbor to an amusement park, and gets stuck on a roller coaster. Okay, I think... Well, I think for... Hold on. I think for clarity, Kisses Daryl Hannah, there needs to be a little bit of an explanation. Disclaimer. I'm waiting for the disclaimer, sir. Well, well, and it makes sense when you hear it. So the episode begins with Chris having like a nightmare and his alarm going off. And I'm not even joking when I say this, what the nightmare is about. He's playing the $25,000 pyramid and he gets all these difficult categories and blames his celebrity partner for losing. I'm not joking. Oh, no. Oh, I can't believe I'm on the pyramid standing next to Dick Clark. 
you know, up close, he's not as young looking as everyone says he is. <laughs> what? What? Uh, uh, things that fly. Uh, uh, things that jump. Uh, things that play the harmonica. Uh, uh, come on, come on. Oh, my celebrity stinks. I specifically asked for Tony Randall, and instead I get the red-haired girl from Taxi. She's giving me lousy clues. And then once he wakes up, above his bed is a poster or a, a, a picture of Daryl Hannah. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, now, now it makes a lot more sense, yes. So now that you have some context... Yeah, it, it isn't as, well, it is bizarre, but it's not as bizarre as you make it sound out to be. Well, I hope it's not as bizarre as when Sid lost his masturbation virginity to that poster of Sophie's mother. R.I.P. Slim Shady, the hamster. Refer back to the previous episode, Abby's. Now, we have names in this episode, don't we? Oh, we have at least one, yeah. All right, so... Playing the role of Connie Bristol, which I'm guessing is a neighbor person. No, uh, who Not that is? Person? She's a TV reporter. Because again, remember what the premise of this first episode is: is they get stuck on this roller coaster, this 360 degree roller coaster, and mm-hmm. they get stuck literally when they're upside down at the apex of the roller coaster. Okay. okay, so so, okay. so she plays like a TV reporter reporting about this roller coaster that's stuck with uh, w- with Chris and Larry, basically uh, uh, upside down at the top of the roller coaster. The top. That's of the how, that looks like he would lose his lunch, or the blood would go to his head, or whatever. Well, they survived because we got past uh, the pilot stage. But think about it: even if they didn't survive. Chris would go on to die 12 times in this series. I wish I was kidding. I'm not. Yeah, it happens. He dies 12 times. But getting back to Connie Bristol, the TV reporter. Yes, the TV reporter, Connie Bristol, is played by podcast favorite, Julie Brown. Not that Julie Brown. The Julie Brown that was in Strip Mall. Just say Julie Brown. Just say Julie Brown. Right. And the first champion on Few. And the first champion on... See? It all comes back to Few. That's right. I thought it all comes back to Match Game Hollywood Scores, but I thoroughly enjoy it all coming back to Few. Yeah. And hey, Strip Mall gave us two former Few contestants because... (laughs) Gregory Itson, a.k.a. that bastard Charles Logan, was on few also. He took out a guy's knees. <laughs> he Tanya hoarding Tim. Oh, jeez. You know who else was on um, Strip Mall? Oh, who else was on Strip Mall? Jonathan Mangum. Oh, that's true. Jonathan Mangum was on Strip Mall. And now he's Jay Stewart. Yeah, he is. Essentially. One guest star I want to mention playing the engineer in this episode of the theme park ride is Mike Haggerty, who is a perennial that guy from that thing. He's been in such uh, shows as 
the building, the George Carlin show, uh, Friends, ER, Lucky Louie, Mob City, yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. But he was also in the movie Wayne's World, where he played the character of Davy. Episode two. Oh, here we go. The prettiest week of. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember when I originally saw this episode. The prettiest. <laughs> the prettiest week of my life. Chris decides to enter the exciting world of male modeling when he joins the handsome boys' school of modeling. <laughs> Oh, jeez. And by the way, Brian Doyle Murray's in this episode as the proprietor of the uh, the modeling school, if I recall. Yeah. So, so is... before he became the landlord in the second season. Right. But Greg, I know you have things to say about this episode. Okay, well, we got one memorable scene, which I'm going to play here from the second episode. Now, Mike, do you want to set up this clip? I don't even know what the clip is. You didn't share it with me. This is a clip where he's going to do the modeling job. I didn't see this episode. I skipped it because I wanted to get other episodes. Oh, you... Okay, so Chris is in his first modeling gig. So let's see how this works out for Chris. First modeling gig for Handsome Boy Modeling Agency. Sparkles, professional male model. Sparkles, huh? You like work for the circus or something? You know, I never have, but uh, that would be a challenge. Those people put in incredible hours. <laughs> so, uh, where do I get made up? Uh, well, you don't need any makeup for this. Oh, you know, you're probably right. I have uh, what's called combination skin, and that seems to have a glow of its own under the lights. <laughs> why, uh, why, don't you, why don't you move over here? Right and, over here? Uh, we'll line up the shot, all right? Great. Ah. Okay. So, what's the shot for, anyway? <clears throat> You don't know? No, they just said it was a rush job. <clears throat> you must be another handsome boy graduate. <laughs> well, actually, this is an ad for a new uh, health drink. Oh, well, fabulous. That's wonderful. <laughs> I wish you much luck with it. <laughs> so, uh, does this mean there'll be a uh, free crate of the stuff or walk? <laughs> you know, because I've heard about those kind of perks. Why don't we get started? Sure. Oh, nice. What is that, a little reggae? Yeah, that's nice. That ought to loosen me up a little. Okay, ready? Something like this? Great. Okay. <laughs> Unbelievable. This? Good. Good. You know what? Let's mm. let's try some crazier stuff. Okay, why don't you uh, why don't you take the jacket? Great idea. I should have thought of that myself. Terrific idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, something like this. Good. Good. Okay. Okay. It's incredible. <laughs> okay. This is so wonderful. I can't believe I'm actually modeling. <laughs> And I'm really good at it, too, aren't I? You know what? You know, yeah. Why don't we take the tie off, throw it in the air, go nuts for it. Oh, yeah, great. Terrific <laughs> idea. Okay. Should have thought I'm new at this, but... Oh. <laughs> You're a natural. And the poses are just, they're kind of like pouring out of me. Okay, take your shirt off, right? Do what? Take your shirt off. 
You said you're a professional model, man. We gotta have this for the ad. Well, nobody said anything about taking the shirt off. Don't worry about it. You're doing fantastic. No, 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 no. There it is. Yeah. This is what you're talking about. No, that's it. I'm not modeling anymore for the two of you. Well, I guess I just have my first taste of the filthy side of this business. Need I remind you, sirs? I am a male model. Not a male prostitute. <laughs> I'm going home now. To vomit. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, if you only knew about that last statement. We're going to bring that up a number of episodes from now. It's in season two, but I'm not going to say anything because I, I, I really want to surprise Greg and Chico because I don't think they know what's going to happen. But I love how he's just, when he's taking his shirt off, he's just doing like these uncomfortable poses and being like, moving his head like. <laughs> oh my God. Again, this is the lunacy we talked about earlier. And really, I, I think the, the laugh track really helps out a ton here because they actually have on the DVD, and I do have the DVD of the entire series, a number of the episodes they actually have with the option of without the laugh track. But that's a scene where you need the laugh track in it. Well, well, yes. that, well, well, well I'm saying the series as a whole needs a laugh track, and it enhances it. Yes. But the thing is, you, you can actually listen to it without the laugh track, and it's not as funny, I, I don't think. Just my opinion. Okay. And we saw as the uh, photographer, Sean Duke, who, gosh, was he in anything? Yeah, he was in uh, Strange Angel, Aquarius, Prison Break, The Unit. What about Brian? What about Brian? I don't know. What about Brian? And he was also in Day 2 of 24. When they were trying to run from that bastard, Charles Logan. No, Charles Logan wasn't until, like, season, like, four or five. Okay. He was so much he later. Was, he was the original, that bastard, Charles Logan. For all we... It's been For a long we, time since I saw the second season of 24. Yeah. That was, I think, the season where, like, um, Alyssa Cuthbert was chased by, a like, a cougar in the woods, and she ran into Johnny Drama from Entourage for some yeah. reason. It also featured that blonde lady from uh, Dead Like Me, who was on 15 with Ryan Reynolds. Future installment 15 with Ryan Reynolds. It was no two guys, a girl, in a pizza place, I'll tell you that much. Episode 3, Daticus. Chris convinces his father to accompany him to the father-son competition at the annual newspaper boy picnic. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> fact, the director of this episode? Yeah. Tony Dow. Oh, okay, yeah. Tony Dow, yeah. Because we mentioned him... Because he did the effects in the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. Mm-hmm. So he's done many behind-the-scenes work for a lot of productions. So, 
I'm going to add one thing here, and I believe this is the first episode where this happens. We talked about, or rather, Chico mentioned something about him sort of being in the same mind as a 12-year-old because he's a paper boy. Well, we meet three of his friends at the start of the episode. They're in a, I don't want to say a restaurant, let's call it a diner type of place. Uh, and they're a seated at a no, it was, it was like a diner. It wasn't necessarily a cafeteria. But um, but the three uh, bo- uh, boys he was with, I mean, they were literally boys, probably 12 years old in age, fellow paper boys. And uh, Chris, he hears what the boys are ordering, and uh, it's not healthy food. And he says, oh, no, you're just like killing yourself inside when you eat this. I'm getting you a bran muffin. And the second boy... Uh, orders something which, again, Chris Elliott's like, no, that's just going to tear up your insides. I'm getting you a brand muffin. And the third one says, I want to get an ice cream sundae and with hot fudge and, and cherries and, and whipped cream and whatnot. And Chris is like, no, that sounds perfectly fine. <laughs> but we do see these characters at this like diner uh, type of setup on a couple of episodes One's going to be happening in a few episodes, I believe. Uh, It actually has a huge basis on that episode. But uh, this is just like your basic, again, father and son competition. And Chris and and his dad are aiming to win. And of course, there's like a whole bunch of irony in it because, you know, he's going up against 12-year-olds and he's 30 years old himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, it's sort of like Married with Children back uh, about 1993. They had an episode where Al Bundy, he got invited to the Senior Olympics and he's running against 60 and 70 year olds. And Al at this point was only like 45 and he's kicking their ass and everything. Well, he did Ew. score four touchdowns in one game. And, and he really laid down the law on uh, the 70 year olds in the final like uh, 400 meters. He was going to be nice, but he's like, no, I'm here to win. Screw sports in the ship. Screw letting the old man win. I'm here to take the gold. Good for Al. Good for him. Good for him. So you can probably see some parallels to that in this episode. Any known entities? Uh, Yeah, Wesley Jonathan was one of the little kids. He would go on to uh, play on City Guys on NBC. Well, also, another name we have here is James Hampton. Oh? Oh, he, he's been in a lot of things. Uh, he was in the movie Teen Wolf. Uh, he, he was Harold Howard. I'm guessing he was Michael J. Fox's dad in Teen Wolf. Oh. Shoulder shrug here. I, I, I'm, I'm just going based on what it says here. Okay. But he, he was Harold Howard in Teen Wolf. Just so you weren't yelling at your monitor, yes, in fact, he did play Michael J. Fox's dad in Teen Wolf. Uh, he's been on a number of shows. He's actually almost like one of those, um, that guy from that show. He was also on four episodes of Love American Style. Oh, we, love, we, we, we love talking about our Love American Style. But really not, not as much as the new Love American Style. No, no. And also... Really, I think the biggest thing he was on, uh, he was uh, Hannibal Dobbs on F Troop. Oh, 
Yeah, we talked about Ooh. F Troop a number of with, times. With Ken Berry and, and Larry Storch, yep. Also, one of our guest stars playing the role of Dr. Kramer is Earl Bowen, who played Matthew Perry's boss on previous entry, Second Chance 1987 Boys Will Be Boys, all the way back in episode 58. And also, Earl Bowen reprises the role of Dr. Kramer in three other episodes of Get a Life in the episodes Pile of Death, Paperboy 2000, and Chris Gets His Tonsils Out. You'll find out more about those episodes later on as we go about in the episode. But for now, let's go back to Chico talking about episode four. Episode four, A Family Affair. When Sharon's sister pays a visit, she, surprisingly, finds Chris to be charming. Uh, Fun fact, director of this episode, the recently departed Dwayne Hickman. Oh, Dobie. Dobie! Well, I do want to add about this episode. Yes, uh, Chris and Charlene, they're inseparable. Much to the contempt of Sharon. Sharon does not want her sister hooking up with Chris. Yeah, it's bad enough that Larry is hooking up with Chris. Now Sharon is about to lose her sister to this nutcase. Yeah. And we do have a known uh, quantity here playing Ted, who is a friend of Larry and Sharon. They actually were sort of going to go on a double date that night. But uh, once Chris came over and met Charlene, uh, all bets were off. The, the, the double date was sort of off. P- playing Ted? We just talked about him not too long ago. Larry Cedar, Square One TV. Yes, sir. And uh, also playing the role of Charlene. We didn't mention who played the role of Charlene here. It was a lady by the name of Blair Tepkin, who was on His and Hers, future entry, and B, the miniseries, B, the final battle, and B, the series. She was also in The Woman Who Willed a Miracle, an ABC After School special. Episode 5, Pile of Death. To save his childhood park, Chris raises money by trying to break the world record for having things piled on you. Okay, so what the basis of this is, this is like episode 3 where Chris and the three 12-year-old newspaper boys are at the diner except now he's not giving them food advice. They're looking at like a Guinness world records type of book. And he's just like flipping through it, flipping through it, flipping through it. And he finds the world record from most stuff accumulated on somebody's body. Okay. And he just happened to be walking past his childhood park and saw a sign saying coming soon, a new parking lot. And he was devastated. And so he wanted to raise money to prevent his neighborhood park from being uh, turned into a parking lot. So he said, you know what? I'm going to break this world record. I'm going to have the most stuff in terms of massive weight on me. And the community came and brought all sorts of stuff. Saren actually was one of the first people to put stuff on Chris. There's actually like a, a piece of plywood uh, you don't really want to put this stuff on him, but they, they had a piece of plywood for effect, obviously. Sharon actually came and brought an old refrigerator, 
But to make it even worse, to make it heavier, she opens up the refrigerator in the freezer, or at least the refrigerator part, and shows it's loaded with bricks. That's how oh. much Sharon loves Chris. Opens it up, and there's bricks all over the place. Uh, oh my and, God. And, and so, so he's got that fridge on him. But uh, it, it gets a, a little weirder. Uh, they actually do get like a world record arbiter out there to say whether it's a world record or not. And <laughs> the, the, he de- doesn't get the record partially because uh, I, I think, I don't think it was a weight issue, but the picture that <laughs> the picture that Chris saw in the world record book was a picture of the guy <laughs> after he got crushed by all the stuff that was on top of him. So Chris is like, no, I don't want this happening to me. But it gets really bizarre. Well, l- let me just backtrack a little bit. I said they were trying to raise money to save the park. The goal was like thirty-five to thirty-six hundred dollars, and they only raised about one hundred and eighty dollars. Oh, because well, no, but there's one problem because whoever set it up, either Chris. Uh, or possibly Larry. I, I don't remember if Larry had a role in this. Instead of charging by the pound, which was the idea, a dollar a pound, they charged mm-hmm. a dollar an item. Oh. So they only had $180. And then we have a special guest. And I'm going to throw him out right now. Jack Jones. Jack Jones. Jack, makes Joe. a, Jack Jones, Sangle Love Boat theme, great singer makes a cameo on this episode because his limousine or his bus or whatnot is blocked by traffic from all the people in the area, the city, putting stuff on top of, of Chris for this record. And, uh, and Jack Jones says, well, you know, if I do a song, will you, uh, move, you know, get this over with so I can get my bus out of the way? Oh, sure, sure, sure. And he sings, oh, I forget what song it was, but then the donations start flying in because it's Jack Jones singing and they reach the $3,600 and the world record arbiter says, Jack Jones, you actually set a record for like uh, the, the most popular singer to be standing on a pile of trash on top of a human being or some goofy thing like that. Again, very bizarre. But very funny. And again, Jack Jones, hey, can't beat Jack Jones. No, you cannot. And by the way, the three kids that Chris likes to hang out with are Billy, Eddie, and Danny, played by the aforementioned Wesley Jonathan, Ben Diskin, who is actually on Sylvester and Kindergarten Cop, and Gonzo in the Muppet Babies reboot. And Skeletor in the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe reboot. And Bo Sharon, who is in something? Yeah, he's in something. He wasn't in much. He was on five episodes of Moesha. Yeah. Okay, episode six. Paperboy 2000. One thing you're going to notice in the episode names... They get a lot of use out of the number 2000. You'll see. There's examples coming up in a little bit. All right. Episode six, Paperboy 2000. The newspaper 
fires Chris and the rest of the delivery boys and replaces them with a robot. So Chris challenges the machine, John Henry style, to a contest. Yeah, the the company that he works for replaced all the paper boys because they said the paper boy 2000, which is this big gangly machine, uh, is going to save the newspaper company $4 a week. Imagine how much money that's going to be over the course of a year. Yeah. $208. Yeah. $208. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, fun fact, the machine used for the Paperboy 2000 was actually repurposed from a 1977 movie called Damnation Alley. It has a very sci-fi look. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was apparently a bug-out vehicle in a movie filled with bug-out vehicles. Episode 7. Driver's License. This is where Chris starts to become a real man now. Chris becomes infatuated with a new waitress at the local diner, played by Anastasia Farzi, who was a graduate of the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. She wants to take her out on a date, but she'll only go if he takes her on a drive around town. One problem with that. Chris never got a driver's license, and he tries to keep that back a secret when he borrows his dad's car for his date. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no. But yeah, Anastasia Barzi, she was a that woman in that thing. She's been in the society. Future Entry 666 Park Avenue, Blue Bloods, White Collar, SBU, Herman's Head. But mostly, she's a Broadway actress. And can we assume the way we talked about borrows his dad's car, it doesn't end up in the same condition it was when he got it? That's a safe assumption to make. I, I figured that's a pretty solid guess, yes. So, Greg, you were talking earlier about Paperboy, uh, the video game. Do they get to zombies or anything like that? Yeah. Listen to this episode, episode eight. Okay. Episode eight, The Sitting. The home in which Chris's house sitting appears to be haunted. What? Yeah. Apparently, uh, Chris becomes a house sitter at an old Victorian house, and said house is haunted. Not even haunted by the ghosts from Ghost, but yeah. Although there is a oh god, I can't believe Mike would probably give more detail than uh, I could, but. Lulu, who is a dog, plays Louie the Demon Dog. Sadly, this is one of the episodes I did not watch. Uh, We have Lulu as Louie the Demon Dog. We also have a burglar and a lady by the name of Stacy. I don't know if that's her house, but there you go. Episode... Nine, 
Bored straight. While delivering papers in the bad side of town, Chris meets a group of young hoodlums and he decides to take back the streets by helping the kids. This is one of those goofy, goofy episodes. Yeah. Um, play the role of Biff. One of the hoodlums is Kirk Geiger, who is not known for much. He was on 21 episodes of Days of Our Lives before this. Well, you heard the episode name Bored Straight. Think of what that reminds you of. Scared Straight? Uh-huh. So he was trying to, to get the kids to straighten up their lifestyle. And it was very bizarre. Uh, just, well, first off, they're very resistant, reluctant. But then by the end of the episode... Chris generally wears a red and white striped polo shirt. Uh-huh. That's what you see when he, he's in almost like every scene that he's in or most of them. By the end of this episode, all the hoodlums are dressed in that same shirt. Oh. <laughs> oh Again, this is the lunacy at play. And yep. he takes them shopping and uh, tries to, to get them on the straight and narrow in a supermarket, and he just does goofy antics like taking a frozen turkey and puts his tongue up to it and gets his tongue stuck, sort of like the flagpole scene in uh, A Christmas Story. Uh, and he also is in the, the fruits and vegetables and produce department and takes uh, a potato and makes a Mr. Potato Head out of him. Like right there, you can see that. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's where the, you can see the orange slices as ears. I can yeah. see the orange slices in his ears. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so yeah, he, he basically gets them to the straight and narrow, the nerdy straight and narrow. I, I don't know, but it, it was a goofy episode. It was indeed a goofy episode. Uh, a name that you may not recognize, but I certainly do, uh, playing the role of Snake was David Kriegel, who played. Uh, Graham, the uh, guy that Jesse was having a little piece on the side with on the cut day episode of Saved by the Bell from season three. You remember that episode? What episode was that? I forget. The, the cut day episode. I don't remember the cut day episode. Uh, Slater bets Zach that he couldn't cut uh, although Zach was threatened with suspension if he did. Oh, cut school, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, he played Jesse's side piece. Oh, okay. Episode 10. Zoo animals on... Oh, Jesus. Zoo animals on wheels. Chris auditions and gets the lead in a musical based on animals that wear roller skates, much to the chagrin of his nemesis, Sharon. <clears throat> I can't believe I get to use this live cue again. Does this look like anything? Animals on roller skates? Well, they flat out say it's a parody of Cats and Starlight Express. Yeah. But yeah, basically, uh, Chris auditions for this. Uh, much to the chagrin of Sharon, he gets the role. She's in the play as well, and 
they're not the leads, but the thing is, they're on stage quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, the idea for this episode came from when Chris Elliott told a story of his dad's about how much he hated the musical Cats. Cats love you too. Isn't that right, Benoodles? All I said was, we love Benoodles. Hey, I got a question. Hey, Whammy, you anywhere near here? Yeah, I just woke up. Hey, do you love cats? I ride Benoodles like a horse every night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> the hell does he mean by that, Mike? I don't know. I don't know. There, there was no, no, no double meaning in that. Hey, Whammy. Have you ever been a graduate of Handsome Boy Modeling School? Listen here. I am the handsome boy. Look at this chest. Episode 11, Roots. Chris finds evidence that makes him think he's adopted, so he sets off to find his natural parents. An Amish couple. Oh, God, I remember this episode. Oh, God, yeah, I do remember watching this. I'm an Amish boy. <laughs> when he finds them, they're even less prepared for Chris's bizarre behavior than Fred and Gladys. Uh, Dwayne Hickman also directs this one, which features Stephen Gilboard as Jedediah and Elsa Raven as Marta, Elsa Raven, uh, late of Amen in uh, the later seasons, and Stephen Gilboard, a that guy from that thing. Actually, he was in six episodes of The Practice, and that's pretty much all he was in, except for six episodes of Get Real, which is a future entry. Hey, that was one of Anne Hathaway's first things she did, Get Real. Yep. I remember that. And another credit we can add to Stephen Gilborn is he was on four Columbo movies back in the early 90s. Yep. And on all 13 episodes of Teach. The Gritty is... urban comedy from 1991 about an urban teacher. Oh, okay. They made a comedy out of my life, my career? Yeah. Fun fact, you were played by a tall black guy. Damn. Another fun fact, that tall black guy went on to write for How I Met Your Mother. By the way, Teach is also a future entry. Can't wait to talk about that one. Episode 12, The Counterfeit Watch Story. Chris goes to work for the police in a sting operation after he buys a counterfeit watch, the Chronosync 2000. What did I say earlier about uh, the number 2000 appearing quite a bit? This isn't an episode uh, a title that has the 2000, but this watch is called the Chronosync 2000. Yep. And remember uh, Sean Duke as the photograph from the Handsome Boy Modeling Agency? Oh, no, I do. He plays Vic, the guy who sells him the watch. And speaking of people who make a second appearance as other characters or in this case, a first appearance of a first character. Episode 13, Chris versus Donald. 
At the annual Peterson family reunion, Chris is still struggling to get out from under the shadow of his more successful cousin, Donald, played by an early role, Jackie Earl Haley. Well, not well, early role. Well, not Jackie early. Early, He was in Bad News Bears. I was about to say, would it be a more of an early adult role? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Because I did the math, and he would have had to have been 30 when this episode aired. Yeah, about 29. Yeah. So, yeah. Jackie Earl Haley. Bad News Bears. Semi-Pro. The Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. And I think this is a future installment. Mm-hmm. Wait till your father gets home. I remember that. Yeah. Wait till your father gets home with, and again, second episode in a row we mentioned this, this name, Tom Bosley. I say, Brian, look, three rows down. What? Is that Tom Bosley? What would Tom Bosley be doing on a train in Switzerland? I'm, I'm almost certain. Tom! Did he look? I don't know. Well, if I yell, you have to watch. Tom Bosley! No, it's not him. Episode 14. Chris wins a celebrity. Oh, I love this episode. Chris wins a contest where his favorite talk show host will spend a weekend at his place. The squalor of the Elliott residence makes the host try to get out of the contest until Chris gets him in on some of his fun activities. However... After enjoying some of Chris's zany antics, the host says he threw with Hollywood to Chris's regret. Playing the role of said host, Sandy Connors, the one, the only, Martin Mull. Yeah, Martin Mull. Yeah, and a fun fact, in the original script, the talk show host was supposed to be David Letterman. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. Yeah, wow. Because, you know, uh, Chris Elliott, he used to write and perform for Dave Letterman. And Letterman was a fan of the series. He was interested in appearing, but he had to turn it down because he couldn't spare the time needed to film the episode. Yeah, and the thing is, Martin Mull is basically in the entirety of this episode, more or less. Yeah. So it isn't, it isn't like it's just like a little walk-on five minutes or so no he's, he's on for the vast majority of the episode uh but but also i just want to give a little background about uh how this episode started as uh, chico said uh chris's favorite talk show host or, or tv host is the sandy connors and they had a contest you know as, as sandy is going to come visit you for a weekend and so they had a drum of postcards which we've all seen and so Sandy Connors pulls out a name. Oh, it, it's Chris Elliott. And, and Chris and his parents are all happy. But there's one little issue. They didn't spin the drum. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, for, for you know, legal reasons and all that. So they spin the drum a couple times, mix it all up, go back and pull out a postcard. Oh, it's Chris uh, Peterson to the surprise of Sandy Connors. It, oh, my gosh. Chris Peterson got pulled again. And then you had uh, the dad, uh, Fred, say to Chris, well, how many postcards did you send in for this stupid contest? And he said, oh, I think like 3,000. <laughs> uh, That's how much he likes Sandy Connors. 
I could see Chris doing that. Episode 15. Houseboy 2000. After destroying her kitchen, Chris becomes Sharon's slave to work off the $2,000 in damage, and she also brainwashes him to break his will. Well, this tells how Chris is so stupid. He has no idea there's an amendment outlawing slavery. Yeah, he's also very easily uh, susceptible to brainwashing. And we also learned that, yes, Sharon Potter really is that evil. She hates him that much? Yes. Episode 16. Married. Oh, God, this is one of my favorites. During one day, Chris meets his soulmate, marries her, and goes through an entire relationship with her. Said soulmate is played by Deborah Shelton, who is just this drop-dead tomato. She's no Katie, though. No. But yeah, uh, she was on High Tide in the 90s, The Clinic, Dallas, The Yellow Rose, Fall Guy, BJ and the Bear, TJ Hooker. Well, Chico, if you mention BJ and the Bear, and she was in this episode too, or this show, she was also on The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. Say it, Greg. I miss Sheriff Lobo. I miss Sheriff Lobo. And she was in a lot of B-movies in the 80s and 90s. And fun fact, she was the first wife of Shuki Levy, who, as we all know, was one of the co-creators and executive producers of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Well, we do have another name in this episode playing the Justice of the Peace, Louis Arquette from the Arquette family. And Louis Arquette, his father is Cliff Arquette, a.k.a. Charlie Weaver, mm-hmm. but also his children, Alexis, Patricia, David, and Rosanna. Oh, wow. All so those he... Arquettes from the 80s, 90s. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't know who any of those people are, what podcast are you even listening to? Hey, one had a song about her, one won an Oscar, and one was the WCW champ. <laughs> oh, oh, great. <laughs> You're going to, okay, so he was in one of the uh, Arthur Company shows for TBS, Rocky Road, Louis Arquette, but are you ready for this, Greg? What is it? He played the voice of Superfly Jimmy Snuka on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yeah, future installment Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. And hey, Chico, you know who voiced Junkyard Dog on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling? The Shredder, a.k.a. Uncle Phil, a.k.a. the late, great James Avery. Yeah. Do you know who voiced the Hulkster on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, Mike? No. Brad oh, wait, G- wait, wait. Brad Garrett. Yes. That's right. Yeah, it just hit me. Yes. But also, I uh, just wanted to add, uh, his uh, son is David Arquette. Yeah. Well, Remember what that means is he'd be the father-in-law when he was living of Courtney Cox. Yeah. I think we should talk about this. Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm glad you're going to Birmingham. I'm glad you can see my parents, but baby, baby, God, baby. No, no, I think this is dangerous. Listen, there's nothing to worry about. I'm the WCW champion, baby. I'm telling you, Eric Bischoff, Jeff Jarrett, 
I, I need to teach them a lesson, but you got nothing to worry about because Chris Canyon's going to be there, Diamond Dallas Page, they're going to watch my back. You see? How do you know they're going to watch your back? What's up, hey, Kurt? Hey, 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 Courtney, we got to do our new love scene right now. How you doing, Dave? Yeah, Kurt, yeah. did you know that David was the WCW World Champion? World Heavyweight Champ, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. That's <laughs> so funny. David, 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 you're not a wrestler! So, Chico, sing your song. Sing it! Courtney I love you. You're so hot on that show. There you go. But yeah, suffice it to say that marriage doesn't last long. No. All right, episode 17, Camping 2000. Chris and Larry join Mr. Peterson on a camping trip. When Mr. Peterson manages to lose them, the hungry boys eat some berries that cause them to hallucinate and become paranoid. That's all you need to know. That's pretty much the entire episode. It's funny. Episode 18, The Construction Worker Show. Chris becomes a construction worker with the men who are renovating his parents' kitchen. When they tell him one of their trade secrets, Chris has a problem with their dishonesty. And uh, playing the roles of the construction workers, three fat guys with beards. Now, don't just say three fat guys with beards, because one of them we've talked about on numerous occasions. Mickey Jones? Mickey Jones, we've mentioned... Meet, wasn't he meat on uh, Misfits of Science? That. And he also was on Ace Crawford Private Eye. Mm -hmm. And also we mentioned uh, he was on Married with Children, the spring break episode where he played Parley Wayne Rockefeller. Don't get into any Nelson Rockefeller jokes, Greg. (laughs) Yeah, we already... uh, Hey, wait, we already had plenty of Nelson Rockefeller jokes earlier this week on Adam's Facebook page. Yeah, that's why I'm saying control yourself. But thank, also, you, thank you, Allison, by the way, for bringing that up. Yeah, hey, Allison, thank you so much, and thanks for listening. But also, another place we've talked about him, not a, 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 an installment proper, he was on the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Gun Fever 2, Still Hot. <laughs> yeah. He was the gun shop owner. Yeah, the gun shop owner in Gun Fever 2, Still Too Hot. Oh, yeah. And then we have uh, Peter Spellis, who, uh, aside from being a very, very prolific voice actor, was on an episode of Two Guys, a Girl at a Pizza Place. Oh, yes. Another reference to Two Guys, a Girl at a Pizza Place. Ryan Reynolds' best work. That's not Deadpool. And the third fat guy with a beard is Rich Brinkley, who plays Carl Wisniewski on Murphy Brown. It was a recurring role. Well, Mike, you were the big Murphy Brown fan, so... To an extent, yeah. To an extent, okay. All right, moving on to episode 19. The Big City. Oh, God, this this is where things get fun. Chris's wallet is stolen in the big city, and the big city gives him the key to the big city and other perks 
to make him feel better. And the kicker about the big city is, while Chris's world is trenched firmly in the early 1990s, the big city looks like something out of the 30s or the 50s. Yeah, it does! It does look like something out of the 30s and the 50s. What universe does this show take place in? This makes no sense. Hey, Greg. Yeah? If that didn't make any sense, wait till I give you some details about the next episode. Oh, no. Then you're going to be like, where are we going with this? This is just too out of there. Oh, God. Uh, By the way, Anastasia Barzi makes another appearance as a different character. Episode 20. Neptune 2000. 20 years after mail-ordering Chris receives the submarine kit, Neptune 2000. After putting it together with the aid of his father, they embark on the sub's maiden voyage inside Chris's bathtub. And what? when they embark on the Wait, wait, yeah, uh, Greg, I'll break it down for you after Chico finishes these details. Okay. And they become trapped in the bathtub in the model submarine. Okay, Greg, I'll paint a visual picture for you, okay? So when he was 12, he uh, he ordered this Neptune 2000 two-person submarine kit it didn't arrive until 20 years later. And like the day it came, he's like, mom, dad, did it finally come? Did it finally come? And there's this huge crate sitting in the, the kitchen. And, and uh, the dad's like, yeah, open your ears, son. It's right there. And oh my gosh, my sofa. Why do you say open your ears instead of like open your eyes? But th- th- that was something that he said, open your ears. But so yeah oh my gosh there's the sub that i've been waiting for so he puts it together like immediately it's almost like christmas day you want that toy you want to put together immediately and play with he does that he puts it together and it's just a bunch of jumbled parts it's not a submarine sort of like stuff that you get on christmas day if you can't wait for mom or dad to help you put it together so they finally get it put together and it's like a two-person submarine. Uh, it's it's probably, I'd say, bathtub size uh, in, in length. You know, maybe like five, six feet. They put this in his bathtub, which is like a sliding glass uh, shower door type of tub. And they put water in there and they can't get out. And, and literally, like, uh, him and, uh, and Fred couldn't get out of this. Sharon and Larry came over to the house and Sharon had to use the bathroom, went into the bathroom and saw Chris looking out of the shower. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. Your son's got like major issues. He's really bizarre. It's just interesting given the rapport between Sharon and Chris, but then ultimately what happened is the tub filled up with so much water, they couldn't turn it off because obviously they're in this, this sub that Chris's tub fell through the floor and landed in the kitchen and broke. 
And amazingly enough, with all this water over the place, Chris gets out of the sub and he's dry as a bone. <laughs> Even though there's water over the place and, and the, the top broke off the sub, you'd think some water would have gotten on him. You yeah. don't think. Yeah, a little slight continuity error there, potentially. But then after that, in the last segment of the episode, Chris is like uh, trying to figure out, hey, my sub didn't work. What do I need to do to get my money back? So uh, the, the company told him, you know, show us like a proof of purchase or receipt and uh, we'll get you your, your money back. So now, again, here's the absurdity level. Fast forward 40 years into the future. Chris is sitting on his front lawn, old disheveled man, opening up his mail, and he, he gets his letter from the company saying, thank you for uh, letting us know about your sub from back in 1991. And I think, I don't know whether they gave him the refund or not, but he just keeled over and essentially died after receiving the letter. So oh again, talking about universes here, you have the 1930s, 40s, 50s universe you talked about earlier that big city and now you get into 2030 in the future when he gets his refund for the the sub oh but if you want weird episodes episode 21 chico oh uh, yeah this one, this one i have comments about we'll get to the summary of it first before i chime in yeah uh you remember freaky friday now hold on i, I was not actually gonna mention freaky friday i was gonna talk about something we're gonna cover literally in like three months okay turnabout turnabout with uh john shuck john shuck and sharon glass yes this is called chris and larry switch lives aka the one where chris and larry switch lives chris and larry ignore an indian curse and wind up switching lives this way chris realizes how pathetic and submissive is larry's life and after stealing an arrowhead from the burial ground, Chris has 24 hours to return that arrowhead or suffer the fate of being married to Sharon forever. Did we mention that Sharon is evil? Well, one of the things that happens in this episode when they switch bodies is since Chris is now in Larry's body, he doesn't believe he's in Larry's body until he goes to work and takes a look at a picture of the family. And instead of Larry and Sharon and the kids, it's Chris and Sharon and the kids. And so he's like totally freaking out his boss. She eventually fires him because he's not an accountant. Yeah, he's a paper boy. He doesn't know how to do accounting. And eventually they do return the arrowhead to the dirt and they switch bodies back to normal. Again, a very crazy ending here. Chris decides, I'm not joking, he decides to get the arrowhead again out of the dirt and he switches bodies. But this time he switches with Sharon. Hilarity oh. ensues. Yeah. And you see the final scene is Chris waking up in bed as Sharon. And of course, who's next to Sharon and wants to get a little amorous? Larry. Oh. oh! End of show. Enter stand by REM here. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, no name on this episode. Uh, playing the role of Jackie would be Beth Broderick, a.k.a. Aunt Zelda from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, okay. Very nice. The one who's not Caroline Ray. The one who is not Caroline Ray, yes. And the season finale, Psychic 2000. After a near-death experience from choking on cereal, Chris gains psychic abilities. He then tries to prevent one of the predictions he sees when he sees a vision of somebody trying to murder Sharon. Oh, boy. Larry Cedar and Deborah Benson make return appearances as Ted and Betty, respectively, and for some reason we see Abe Lincoln in the form of Robert B. Barron, a.k.a. a voice from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and L.A. Law and Bill and Ted's... Uh, oh, you know what? He, play, he plays... Plays Abe Lincoln in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah! Yep. And Mike, he also plays Ray Muntz and Red Ranger on two different episodes of Night Court. Uh, Wheels of Justice Part 2 and Who Was That Mashed Man, if you remember those. Well, and also... We've talked about typecasting and, and uh, uh, getting certain roles all the time. Uh, we talked about the king when we were talking about the last precinct. And uh, we talked about uh, Mr. Whipple being the drunk on a number of episodes and mm-hmm. Carl Ballantyne being the magician. Yeah. Well, add this guy to the list because not only did he play uh, Abraham Lincoln in this and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he also played Abraham Lincoln in Out of This World. Oh, the nice. Series? The series, Out of This World, yeah. Oh, by the way, I just pulled off of my bookshelf the uh, Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Collection set from Shout Factory. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, this was the entire season. And in 1990, it didn't really have anything to go up against it. We had America's Funniest People on ABC, Murder, She Wrote on CBS, and uh, a news magazine on NBC. And not, not Dateline. It hasn't premiered yet. No, not Dateline. But no. even so, Get a Life managed to hold its own, and it managed to secure a 13-episode second season. And according to David Murfkin, the plan was to make uh, each season different from the season before it which would explain all of the changes that go on in season two, which begins with Chris moves out. When Chris hits the age of 31, he believes it's time for him to grow up and move out. So he moves in with retired cop Gus, but soon has doubts about his new home. By the way, um, the kids, uh, Brady Bohm and uh, Taylor Fry, no longer are part of the regular cast. But you know who is part of the regular cast now? Brian Doyle Murray! Yay! Episode 24, Larry on the Loose. Larry takes off after listening to Chris reminding him of everything wrong with his life. 
So Chris goes in search of Larry, and when he fails, he goes in search of a new best friend. Oh, no. Chris thinks he found him, but it turns out it's just a hobo who doesn't speak any English. What? Yeah. And said hobo is played by Anthony Mangano, who is another that guy from that thing. Actually, he was in six episodes of Person of Interest as Detective Kane. And ten episodes of Rescue Me. But aside from that, he is a that cop from that thing. And playing a businessman, series producer David Merkin. Wow. Episode 25, Meat Locker 2000. Sharon makes Chris pretend to be her boyfriend to impress her snooty friends, but things go awry when the two of them get locked in her walk-in meat freezer. Uh oh. Uh oh. It isn't just uh oh. This is like peak absurdity here. Because when you hear that you got locked in a meat locker, what do you generally think, or where do you generally think a meat locker would be? A freezer. Well, a freezer, but at what like location? A restaurant. Restaurant, maybe a supermarket. I'm not joking. The meat locker was in Sharon's living room. And the way they got found is Gus, he he went to Sharon's house and he noticed the meat locker. He's like, oh, uh, I I always like seeing a good meat locker in somebody's living room. He goes into the meat locker and he gets like a whole bunch of meat. He puts it in a bag. And when he's leaving, he turns around and he sees Chris and Sharon on top of each other, in an embrace, frozen. They're both holding each other. Chris is on top of Sharon, frozen. Meanwhile, Gus has all these meats that he just pilfered from Sharon's walk-in meat uh, cooler or meat locker that she's got in her living room. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. One of the faces of this episode is Luann Gideon, who plays Tammy, She's known as Danielle Atron on um, The Secret World of Alex Mack and also Becky Belding on Saved by the Bell for, like, one episode. I'm guessing she was related to Mr. Belding in some way. Yeah. Okay. She's uh, the uh, wife of Mr. Belding. Oh, wait! She was in the episode of the... uh... The earthquake when she gave birth to their kid, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, classic episode. Little Zach. Little Zach Belding. Yeah, they named the kid after Zach. By the way, trash. Yes, even though he is trash, at least Mr. Belding was like, you know what, Zach, you delivered my kid. We might as well give you the courtesy of naming our kid after you. Episode 26, Health Inspector 2000. (laughs) My God. Chris gets a job as a health inspector after finding a dead rat in his carton of milk. You read that right. You you read that right. A dead rat in his carton of milk. A dead rat. A dead rat in his carton of milk. 
How does that get through the people that are monitoring the milk? How is that even possible? Well, again, the absurdity at play. So, yeah, he becomes a health inspector because he's so outraged. And when he uh, becomes a health inspector, the first place he visits, every corner, every time you turn around, there's a different violation. There's a cockroach walking across a table or, or a cutting uh, area, I should say, not really a table. And you have the cook who's tenderizing meat with it. And he takes the, uh, the meat tenderizer and hits the bug and then continues tenderizing the meat. And then you had like over like a pot of broth, you had a, uh, a fly zapper, you know, one of those where the fly hits it and then falls down. A lot of stuff that, yeah, uh, not fun. No bueno. But the, the real basis around the episode has to do with corrupt health inspectors, corrupt food inspectors, because Chris got bribed by this restaurant owner. He got a bribe of $5. And he's living high off the hog with this $5. What? It's $5. I know it's $5 in 1991, but still. But in his mind, as a paper boy, you know, $5 may be a lot. So like one of the first things he does is he goes to a car dealership ready to buy a convertible and he's got this briefcase of money. He opens up the briefcase of money for the salespeople and there's a single $5 bill in there. So, so yeah, it went to Chris's head. Again, this is the, the lunacy at play. And actually this got so bad that he had to testify in front of Congress regarding corrupt health inspectors. And he was getting $5. Again, wow. just, just showing the absurdity of this show at, at points. Wow. Okay. Episode 27. Chris gets his tonsils out. Chris must deal with the fact that he's ready to undergo major surgery. And he begins by trying to make peace with Sharon. As a reminder, he's having his tonsils removed. I remember this episode because he's making a big deal of it. Like an actual, literal big deal of it. And if you've never gotten it done, it's not a big deal. I got it done when I was like five years old. And the best part of it is I got to eat like a ton of ice cream afterwards. Episode 28, Prisoner of Love. When his pen pal gets released from prison, she comes to stay with Chris. She takes him hostage when the police come after her, but she starts criminal activities under Chris's nose. This is the problem. He had a pen pal in prison. Yep. Play the role of said pen pal Irma, a known commodity, Nora Dunn. Yeah, because, what, she would have just left SNL at this time? Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two years ago. And this is also the final episode that we see Eleanor Donahue and Bob Elliott as Gladys and Fred Peterson. Oh. They still get credited throughout the series, though. Yeah. Episode 29. 
Oh god, I remember this episode. Chris becomes a male escort. Chris decides on a whim to become a male escort, hoping for free plays and dates with young women. What he gets is an elderly woman who is hard up. Wait, they had a female version of eugenics back in 1991? What the hell is that? That's eugenics. Oh, now you're interested. Oh, now you're interested. Yeah, by the way, said woman, Dina Dietrich. Yeah, we've talked about her in the past. She plays Mother Nature in the Chiffon uh, Burger commercials. That's right. Or margarine commercials, whatever it is. I think it's margarine. It's but also, we, we did talk about her previously. The reason we talked about her previously was in 1975, she played a countess on The Vampire's Apprentice, an episode of The Ghostbusters. Oh. Yep. Yeah, we talked about her in The Ghostbusters episode back in November. But also, another name... Before I even get into the details about this episode, playing Mark in this episode is Paul Feig. Yes. Yes. That Paul Feig. That Paul Feig. And and yeah, Paul Feig, we'd know as a writer, director, freaks and geeks, many other things. The Ghostbusters movie from 2016, the all-female movie. Which I had no problem with, by the way. It just shouldn't have been called Ghostbusters. But also, Paul Feig was a contestant on the $25,000 pyramid back in 1985 before he got his big break. Yes, he was on the $25,000 pyramid. So about this episode, yeah, Chris becomes a male escort. And uh, again, the the female he uh, gets set up with is Dina Dietrich. And they go to... Uh, a play and well first off he's just like totally outraged oh my gosh she's so old and ugly and yeah i don't want to be seen with her and she complains about hey i'm paying you four dollars a night to be my escort do what i tell you to do and they go to the play goes really well and actually that's where mark comes into play mark also plays an escort with another date except his date is a younger woman not uh, an older woman and so the, the play goes fine. They hit it off and they go back to uh, the apartment of this uh, lady. And Chris is going through some records and, and notices uh, a record that uh, he, he thinks you know, will set the mood. Doesn't set the mood, but he starts dancing. And, and one thing that attracts her attention is his gyrating behind. And she changes the music to something a little more romantic and well, they did the do much to his chagrin, I think, but they did the do and she got Chris as her escort for like the next week. And every time they saw each other, he got like bigger gifts. The first night uh, after they uh, did the deal and went to the place. She gave him a, a wristwatch, like a Rolex. And then uh, he got a fur one day. And, he, and she's just lavishing him with gifts. And then right near the end of the episode, 
her husband comes home. Her husband had been hospitalized. You actually see him walk uh, through the door, through through the threshold of the door with the IV bag attached to him. And again, this is the absurdity of it. He's probably, I'm guessing, like 70 or 80 years old at this point. And you see him pick up Chris and basically do some wrestling moves. You see him spin Chris around and throw him to the ground. Absolutely. Again, not what you expect from a 70 or 80 year old man, especially one that, that literally is hooked up to an IV bag. Again, just the absolute goofiness of this episode and maybe not even just goofiness, unpredictability. And uh, Chris actually, after that, he doesn't see uh, the woman anymore, this woman, but uh, he continues with the escort service. And the next person that wants to use him as an escort goes actually to Chris's house or Gus's house and says, hi, I'm here. You're my escort, uh, Chris. And he literally runs through a wall like a cartoon. You hear him break through the wall and you see the, the silhouette uh, or the outline of where he ran through the wall. Greg, this is, I'm not even joking about this. She chases him in the manner of Benny Hill. You oh. actually have Yakety Sacks and you have a, a, a policeman joining in and they're doing that little slow run just like Benny Hill used to do. And at one point, Chris passes by a, a beautiful woman, oh. yanks off her dress. Oh. So she's got just her bra and panties on. Total oh, rip off of Benny Hill. Best ending in the series. Best ending. And if you don't know how much of a Benny Hill fan I am, oh, that made my night right there. That's like, okay, I got to mention this at the end of the episode because I was dead for probably about 15 minutes after watching this episode. <laughs> oh, that Benny. was unexpected and the best ending. <laughs> Basically, if you've seen one episode of Benny Hill, you've seen how every segment of Benny Hill works. Every episode of Benny Hill ends with the whole chase scene and generally with some three quarters nude women or woman and probably a police officer chasing them. Oh yeah. This yeah. was like, <laughs> this was vintage Benny Hill. We're almost halfway finished with season two guys. Episode 30. Girlfriend 2000. After getting hit by her car, Chris falls for and stalks a doctor. Later, while stalking her, he starts getting stalked by the girl from the drugstore who has fallen for him. Playing one of the two stalkers, or stalkies, or whatever, or what have you, is a post-Dynasty pre-Models Inc. Emma Sams. Playing the other one is the very lovely Amy Asbeck. Oh, yes! Hey! You know what Amy Asbeck was on? What was Amy Asbeck on? I can't remember. She was on Wings. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> With Tony Shalhoub. That, you know what? Wings made Amy Asbeck's career. No, it didn't. It made Tony Shalhoub's career. No. Porque no knows. los dos. Everyone knows Problem Child made Amy Asbeck's career. And also, let's remember, when we're talking about Wings, she was in, like, the final three seasons. Yeah. Yeah, like, like 94 to 97. Yeah. One of the episodes she was in was the one where Crystal Bernard 
want to see rent. I want to see rent. I want to see rent. I just like open the door and Greg just barged on in. I, I think that's beautiful. But also another thing I think we need to mention about Amy Yazbek, she's the widow of John Ritter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they they were in Problem Child together in Problem Child too, but so also, that would make her the stepmother of Jason Ritter, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yes, yes, she would be. Yes, but also if you have a chance to listen to uh, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, she is on an episode of that, and they talk about um, some stories about when Gilbert was on Wings, and also a very twisted story about when she and John guest starred on the Cosby show. I'm not going to ruin it, but it'll all make sense after you listen to it. Episode 31. Chris's brain starts working. Exposure to toxic waste found under Gus's house turns Chris into a genius. And with (laughs) Gus, he proceeds to enter and win... Spelling bees. <laughs> what? All over the world. How? I. First off, he's 31 years old. Why is he competing in spelling bees? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Let's remember, he hung out with 12 year olds in the first season. True. Uh, by the way, making an appearance is Mitch Pelegi, a.k.a. that guy from the X-Files. You know, that, that guy from the X-Files? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Oh. Oh, We're almost finished, guys. Episode 32, Bad Fish. After eating bad shellfish, Sharon and Gus get amnesia. And Chris seizes the opportunity to convince them that they're his best friends. Oh, boy. How do you get amnesia from bad shellfish? How does anything work in this universe? Well, that's a very valid point, but oh, my gosh. Amnesia from shellfish. Uh, Maybe they have parasites and they make their way to the brain. I don't know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this explanation, oh. but I'm going to try. Oh, no. Is this Zipper's level terrible? Yes. Maybe even worse. Episode 33, Spewy and Me. When an alien creature crashes in Gus's front yard, Chris tries to keep it from the government but this alien is nothing like E.T. or Elf, as its only superpower is the ability to spew and spray body fluids all over the place. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Gets to the point where Chris drinks his secretions. What? Calls it ambrosia. No. Okay, now we've totally gone off the deep end. Yeah. And apparently, word of God has it that uh, the studio did not want this episode to be aired because Chris and Gus eat the alien. 
What? But here's the thing. It's not real. A, it's not real, and B, the alien ends up coming back. What? And Peter Chernin, who was head of Fox at the time, said that the episode is one of the series' funniest and ensured it would be a broadcast. But I, I, I can't, guys. <laughs> Playing Spewy. I can't believe I'm saying that. Playing Spewy. The physical embodiment of Spewy is Arturo Gill. Uh-huh. This may be the only time we reference this show uh, on our podcast ever. He played Dr. Damn Near Kilter. I'm not kidding. Dr. Damn Near Kilter on Cram. I think this is the second season of Cram. Yeah, it is. And playing the voice of Spewy is Frank Megatron Walker. Of course, Frank Welker would voice that. And apparently, Word of God also says that the idea for this episode was inspired by Jace Richdale's hatred of Mac and me and David Merkin's hatred of E.T. I was sort of getting a Mac and me vibe from this. Wait, did you, you know, say Mac and me? Yeah. We both said I, Mac I, and I walked me. Right, well, Chico said it too, so... We both walked right into it. All right, let's play it. that didn't you i do i think you love that a bit too much there buddy yeah it's just yelling of the penultimate episode 1977 2000 1977 2000 yeah the sad story of gus's dismissal from the police force 15 years ago inspires chris to travel back through time to set right what was once <laughs> set wrong. It becomes Quantum Leap! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! How does he travel back in time? Probably in the Neptune 2000. I don't know. I can't answer that. I didn't see this episode just because I ran out of time. We're not, wait, we're not done yet. Chris well, goes back in time, but he soon discovers the trouble with messing with the past, including two-headed zombies named Sharon. <laughs> two-headed Sharon zombies? Oh, yeah. No. That is a thing that is happening. Well, again, that's why they tell you if you go back in time, don't kill a butterfly or a mosquito. It'll change the course of history. It will indeed change the course of history. And finally... Finally! Final episode, clip show. In this clip show, while on his first jet airplane flight, Chris falls out and is disappointed when his life flashes before his eyes and it only covers the past 18 months. 
He survives the fall when he unexpectedly lands on a bed, but then the bed turns out to be made of explosives and blows him up. <laughs> That's closure for a series. It's like yeah. they knew they were gone at this point. Well, they kind of sort of did. But at the same time, David Merkin said he had plans for a season three, which involved him becoming a hobo and walking the earth. He didn't get killed landing on a bed full of explosives? Yeah. Okay. Oh, hey, you know, let's throw a name out. And we talked about this person mm-hmm. somewhat uh, in the, the recent past. Uh, Teresa Ring plays the stewardess in this episode. We talked about Teresa Ring when we talked about O'Hara. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, she was the model on Strike It Rich with Joe Garagiola back in 1986. Hashtag no bandit, no bandit. No bandit, no bandit. Doesn't have the same quite of ring as Big Bucks No Whammies. Yeah, that's true. Isn't that right, Whammy? You just said no whammies and you want me to show up? Yes. I got a finger for you. I got a bunch of fingers for you. Oh, Whammy, why are you giving me fingers? You just said no whammies and then you said, hey, get up here, Whammy. Which one is it? Because I like you, Whammy. Oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. I'm not going to steal your... Your BMW that you get on the show next week. Okay. Oh, I know it's going to Oh, be- shoot. Did I just spoil the next episode? Greg gets a BMW? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Okay. So this show lasted all of 35 episodes, each one zanier than the one before it, with the show trending to be zanier than the 35 episodes that were actually produced. But then Fox canceled it. Now, if I looked at the schedule, we talked about the schedule for uh, the first season. The second season had Get a Life start off on, I want to say, Saturday night when it was up against Nurses on NBC and the Young Writers on ABC, and the CBS Saturday Movie. And it was out of new entry Charlie Hoover. By the way, that's a future entry. And then Fox decided to move it to Sundays at the 10.30 time slot. Yes, once upon a time, Fox programmed the 10 o'clock hour on Sundays. Where it would be on the same night as True Colors, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, In Loving Color, Rock, Married with Children, Herman's Head, and a new entry, Stand By Your Man. Which marked Melissa Gilbert's return to series television, and little else. I don't even remember this. I'm trying to see if there's anything notable except for uh, Melissa Gilbert. Well. Oh, Rosie was a, O'Donnell was on this. Yep. And it was the American version 
of the British sitcom Birds of a Feather, which was still in production. This may be an entry for uh, Lost in Translation 2023. There may be a bit of, I don't want to say corporate meddling, because apparently David Merkin may have had something to do with it. Because all through the series, Fox had a whole lot of problems with the episodes that were written and shot. I mean, come on, you saw what happened. But David Merkin insisted as showrunner that every episode they do and every episode that Fox ordered be released uncut, including the music. Or am I just thinking about the, of the DVD release? Well, the DVD release does have a stand on it as the music, but when it did air on USA, it did air briefly on USA, very briefly in 2000, it did have an alternate theme. So like how Married with Children, if you have some of the DVD sets, they use an alternate theme, not Love and Marriage. And when David Merkin actually saw those episodes on USA, he yanked the entire run from USA. Oh, that's why I said it didn't last all that long. I don't even think they got through the entire series. It may have lasted maybe a month at most. Uh, and it's just interesting that this is in a line of other shows that USA, I don't want to say brought back from the dead, but I mean, if you look at some of the shows that they reran over time, like seven, eight, ten years later, you've got shows like Madam's Place showed up on USA and Oh Madeline. Oh no, I just said it. I just said it, didn't uh-huh. I? You really walked into that one, didn't well, you? Well, we already played it, so. Well, so we're going to play it again. I screwed up. Oh my, my mother's like it's raining in Kansas. No, no, that's just a little bit of dirt. I'll just pass it right. Oh, what is it? Oh, Kansas. Oh, it isn't funny. Oh my, that looks like the day after. <laughs> so we were talking about network meddling. Uh, Fox wanted the uh, laugh track, which David Merkin would later say added to the quirky nature of the series. So he didn't mind that. I would agree with that. Uh, and actually, regarding the laugh track, on the DVD set, you can actually watch some of the episodes without the laugh track. Not all the episodes, but I would probably say close to half the episodes you can actually listen to without a laugh track. And it does take a little bit away from it. Yep. And Fox also had this uh, demand that they see a shooting script before the episodes were shot. They did see a shooting script and they would make some, well, and by they, I mean Merkin and the writers, would make some creative changes as shooting progressed. Another thing that we didn't find out until we researched this episode, Fox actually canceled this after season one. But they changed their mind and ordered a second season of 13 episodes. Well, yeah, that does line up because we did get 13 episodes in season two on top of the 22, 23 episodes we got in season one. 
Yep. And you can see all 35 episodes uncut and their original broadcast glory with all of the music intact on the Shout Factory DVD that was released in 2012, which, by the way, Mike has a copy of. I got it, like, literally the day it came out. And I think I got it at Greg's insistence. I think he brought to my attention. He said, hey, Get a Life is out on DVD. And I wasn't even employed then. I was laid off. And I'm like, okay, I got to get this DVD because yeah, I, I, there can't be that many out there. I, I mean, it was, I've never seen it at like a Best Buy or a Walmart. I ended up going to Barnes and Noble and spending like $45 on it and $45 well spent. It's a hilarious series, if not even a little bizarre or even a lot of bizarre. Yeah. It is incredibly bizarre. By the way, I just bought a copy of it as we were recording the episode, so. So did I. <laughs> oh, hold up, guys. We're going to debut a segment on this podcast, okay? Uh-huh. We are going to have the first ever edition of Amazon Price is Right. And not only are we going to have this as a spinoff of eBay Price is Right and non-eBay Price is Right, but for Amazon Price is Right, we're playing the Bill Cullen Price is Right theme for this. Yes! Now, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. Before we play the theme, we've done Amazon Price is Right in the past. We have? Wait, what? When, when we did uh, David S. Pumpkins, the, the uh, Funko Pop figures. Oh, the figurines. Funko Pops, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, but this is the first official edition of Amazon Price is Right. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll play another Price is Right theme here. Boy, we're running out of Price is Right themes. No, we're not. This is the Bill Cullen theme. Yeah. And the Bill Cullen Price is Right theme's great. So this is going to run different than a normal Price is Right for eBay Price right. Right, non-eBay Price Right. You are bidding on the combined price of two items. The first item is the Get a Life DVD set from Shout Factory. Right. But the second item is the Blu-ray of Cabin Boy by Kino Warber. How did I know Kevin Boy was going to pop his head up in this episode? How did I know Kino Lorber was going to pop its head up in this episode? Okay, so you're going to be bidding on the combined prices for both of these. Okay. So this is an option for me frequently bought together, and it gave me the prices on both of these combined it. So I'm going to start the bidding with you, Chico. Uh, $52. $52? $52. Mike. I've got an idea, but I don't know how much the Cabin Boy Blu-ray goes for. Uh, well, it's Kino Lorber, so it's got to be pretty decent. Um, I'm going to say $56.98. $56.98. Okay. And Chica bid $52. Okay. The combined price for both of these. Now, Mike, you won, but 
All right, listen to this price, okay? You said fifty six ninety eight. Yeah. Fifty nine sixty eight. Well, you I, 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 I got the permutation. Yeah, I got the right numbers, just the wrong order. This is the, like Wordle. Can I get a second guess? Two oh, of the numbers are green. Two oh. of the numbers are yellow. At, at this point, hey, do we have a breaking news sounder? This is CNN breaking news. Yeah, last week we had the mini soda of Lingo. This week, CBS announced it was rebooting Lingo with RuPaul as host. That's right. Yeah, I saw that. RuPaul is hosting Lingo. And it'll be the UK production that is currently uh, airing. So no red ball, no red ball, no blue ball, no balls whatsoever. I can make a joke about that, but I'm not going to because I'm classy. So wait, RuPaul is going to host Lingo? Mm-hmm. So that makes two shows where you're not going to see any balls. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so get a life. What can I say? It's crazy. I mean, I'm talking about absolute crazy. It is literally a universe where anything can happen and usually does. It became a cult classic with the passage of time and the uh, growth of Chris Elliott's career on Saturday Night Live and How I Met Your Mother and the like. But in 1990, on Fox, Get a Life is just a thing on TV. But remember, this is not going to be the last time we'll talk about Chris Elliott on this podcast because we're going to talk about him later on Eagle Heart on Adult Swim. I remember that. You remember Eagle Heart, right? It was, I do remember. It's basically, it was Chris basically Al- Walker, te- Chris Elliott, Texas Ranger. Yeah, it's basically what the show was. But wow, what a show this was. Indeed. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. And it was all the better for it. I think it may have been too crazy just compared to other shows that were on at the time. Maybe it's just too bizarre, but also at the same point, that's what Chris Elliott's known for. He's funny. He's bizarre. He is bizarre. I, I mean, we saw the video earlier this week of him doing the taste test between peanut oil and, and vegetable oil or oh, whatever it was. Yeah, on the Letterman YouTube channel, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, he's known for being outrageous and and maybe even borderline crazy, but well, I, I, well, the box of Get a Life, the DVD, does say he is America's favorite psycho. A legitimate statement. I, I would agree with that. Actually, on the DVD, it says America's most lovable psycho. Yes, America's most lovable psycho. Not to be confused with America's ass. But enough about Chris Evans. And Tom Bellotter. Anywho, you can listen to uh, us talk more about Chris Evans and Tom Ballard on our website. It was a thing on TV.com where you'll find all of our previous installments, all of our spinoffs, our live watches, our mini-sodes, and of course, links to our socials, and of course, links to our good friends at Place to Be Nation. And this week we got 
the other Super Bowl commercials of Daryl Isaacs, and we got live show 12. We did a Peacemaker, the premiere, which I believe if I'm mistaken, as this episode is dropping right now on our regular Podbean feed, the season finale of Peacemaker has dropped on HBO Max. So, yep, we're going to have the grand finale of Peacemaker. The next to last episode of season one aired the day after we're recording this. So it was a very fun episode. I cannot wait to see how the finale goes from here. So I want to see where everybody goes from here, too. In the meantime, don't forget, we are available on our website, on our Podbean feed, and, of course, where fine podcasts can be streamed. We're talking about Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart. Tune in. Tune in radio. We love tune in radio. And that's it. That's That's all. (laughs) That is all the uh, sources you need to know. That is all the sources you need to know. We're not going to mention one of our outlet because they know what they did. Y'all know what you did. But next week. Ooh, next week is going to be a fun one. Let's see what we got. We have, uh, oh gosh, we have a classic lady with newer, even more zany adventures. And, And we revisit a show that we covered all the way in the before times. You remember the before times, right? Oh, you mean right before COVID happened? Yeah. Yep. We revisit it and we double the schmoes. Oh, yes. And we also find out what happens when one schmo becomes the schmo who knows too much. Dun dun dun! And also, we're going to reference This Is Us in the second episode. Because you can never get enough references to This Is Us, really. Yeah. You can't. No. And that's all coming next week, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Mike, for Greg, I'm Chico. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you next week. Wow! When will I see you again? (laughs) Oh, Chris, you can see me anytime you want. In fact, thanks for asking. I will be at the uh, Tropicana Hotel March 19th through the 23rd. From there, it's down to beautiful Miami Beach, Florida, the Fountain Blue. Last time Bob Culp showed up, surprised me. He's a (laughs) And then from there, out to the coast, I'll be a guest on Match Game PM. You check your local listings for time and station. (laughs)